Why don't you open your Bibles this morning to Daniel chapter 9. I don't know how familiar you are with the life of Daniel. Um, many of us know Daniel. Most people, when they hear Daniel, their mind goes straight to the lion's den, which was a pretty epic moment in Daniel's life, but it certainly wasn't the first. And uh, it wasn't even the biggest moment probably in his life. It's a cool story, and it's the one we grew up with as kids. Uh, but Daniel was just a fascinating figure. An interesting man by all accounts. But when we read about him, I used to think that Daniel was just one of those special people that God plucked out of nowhere and said, hey, I'm going to show you a bunch of cool stuff, Daniel. You're going to do a bunch of cool stuff. And Daniel said, okay, well, whatever. But that's not the story. That's not what Daniel's life was. Daniel was not just chosen by God because God rolled the dice and, and Daniel's name came up. Daniel was not the kind of guy that did everything like everyone else and then, you know, God zaps him with a vision or zaps him with a dream or zaps him with a prophecy. You see, we have this idea about people in the Bible that they were just picked for whatever God's reason. They were just picked and they were special. And, you know, I should never expect to, to have those experiences or to be like that because they were picked and they were special. And certainly God chooses different people for different things. And God gives different gifts and different roles in the body of Christ. At the same time, you got to understand, men like Daniel weren't men like Daniel because they just were born with supernatural abilities. Men like Daniel were men and women like you and me who chose to take it a step further. It seems an odd thing. We talked about in Canada how our, our natural inclination is to take a step back in the summer, take a break, take, you know, relax a little bit. And I agree, you should unwind, you should relax, but never take a, a step back spiritually because the life of Christ, as we're growing in Christ, it's like riding a bike up a hill. If you stop pedaling, you don't stay in the same place. You're either going up or you're going back. And, and as we grow in Christ, a consistent walk with Christ is not a flat line. It's not a plateau. It is a consistent climb. The Apostle Paul called it the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You've been called to an upward call. We go further up and we go further in. And so as, as I look and as I study the life of Daniel, I know that many of you have done your own studies. This is a man who, uh, yeah, he was born into a pretty good family. He was considered one of the nobles. And so when, when uh, Jerusalem and, and the whole nation of Judah was taken by the Babylonians, the Babylonians had a system in which they would conquer territory and they would assimilate, assimilate territory into their own rather than just coming in as cruel dictators and, and just crushing the opposition. What they tended to do was take people away from their homeland, bring them to Babylon and make them Babylonian. Give them rights, give them a voice, give them place, but, but make them fit their society. And so what you see throughout Judah's history is when Babylon conquers Judah, not everybody leaves at once, but they go in shifts. The first people to be pulled out of Babylon are the nobles, the families of, of, of rank in Judah, the, the families where if anybody was going to come and, and lead a revolt or if anybody was going to come and challenge for the throne, it would be these guys. They take the noblemen, the young men and women that, that are from good families, they take them back to Babylon and they train them in their schools. 
My school is important, isn't it? It's where we get assimilated into a culture. That's why it's so important if your kids are in school that you've got to know that your voice has got to be just as loud. If, I mean, it's got to be louder. It's got to be stronger in their life than just the voice of the school. Thank God for schools. Thank God for teachers. But our culture right now is not in the perfect place. Our culture right now is not an echo of heaven. And so there are things in our culture that, that, are, that your kids are being subjected to every day that you've got to understand is not the same as what God wants to teach them. It's not the kingdom of God. In many ways, it's conflicting with that. There's great things they learn in school. There's other things. There's other parts of the culture that aren't so good. So what do we do? As parents, you've got to have these conversations with these kids. You've got you've to let them experience the goodness of God and the truth of God. You've got to have raised them in such a way that whether you're homeschooling, sending them to a private school, or sending them to public school, whatever you're doing, that they, that they know who God is, and they know who God is to them. Daniel and his buddies were sent to the Babylonian school. And while many people from different nations, when they're sent to Babylon school, they learned to act Babylonian. They learned to think Babylonian. They learned to... Um, take off and throw off their old backwoods culture and take on a higher civilized culture. Or so they thought. You guys know the story, many of you do at least, that when Daniel and his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, who later became known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that these guys, when they came to Babylon, uh, Daniel says, hey, we're not going to eat your food. We're not going to drink your drink. Let us just eat what we're going to eat. We're going to basically fast and just eat vegetables and water. And at the, end of the, at the end of the period that you've allotted, we'll be stronger than everybody else. Well, that shouldn't have worked. They weren't getting good protein. They weren't, they, they weren't uh, you know, getting the same amount of food or the same quality of food that everybody else was getting. But they chose, rather than to eat of the king's table, of, of the, this meat and drink that was likely offered to idols, they chose rather to do it God's way and to be different. And surely, sure enough, at the end of that period, they were stronger, they were, they were better, they were further along. So throughout Daniel's life, he's different. Throughout Daniel's life, he is being elevated to the top of Babylonian society, but he's never becoming Babylonian. The guy is just continually um, staying true to who he is and to who God is. And so you have um, moments in his life where, you know, the Bible tells us that every day, he would, every day, three times a day, he would go and pray by his window because he wasn't ashamed of it. And then when it became illegal for him to pray, he still prayed, and he didn't do it in secret. He did it so people could see him. That's where we get the story of Daniel in the lion's den. He's thrown into the lion's den as punishment, and God rescues him. But what I want to bring you to is a point in his life where he begins to look back at some of the things that God promised. He begins to look into some of the things that have been prophesied, and he chooses to press into these things. Many times we look at the prophets in the Old Testament just as men and women that had no choice, had no say in the matter, and God just threw them into a trance and used them. But that's usually not the case at all. Daniel in chapter 9, Daniel chapter 9, says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans. So by this time, Babylon's not in charge. Babylonians aren't in charge anymore. The Medes and the Persians have come in, conquered Babylon. And now it's a kingdom that's got a different set of rulers, got a different nation in charge, and yet Daniel still somehow rises to the top. 
He says, in the year, in the reign of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of this desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So let's break that down for you. Daniel has been in Babylon for 70 years. In that time, most of his compatriots, most of his friends, most of his, uh, anybody he would have gone to school with, most of these people have begun to just integrate into society. Over 70 years is a lot of time to get used to a new way of living. In this time, generations have died off. In this time, kids have been born who didn't even know what it was like in Jerusalem. Daniel's the only guy that we know of that goes and looks back at the prophecy. Remember, Jeremiah was the one that said, hey guys, we're going to be captured. Babylon's going to take us. There were other prophets that said, no, we'll be fine. Don't worry, the Egyptians are coming. Don't worry, someone will take care of us. Jeremiah said, no guys, we're going. For 70 years, we're going to be in Babylon, but then God will bring us home. So Daniel, it's 70 years later, and he goes, wait a minute. He looks into the books of the prophecies, and he says, 70 years have gone by. And God said in 70 years we would go home. Now, we might take the view of, well, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. But Daniel believed, no, there's a part I have to play in this. There's a reason God told us how many years. There's a reason he told us when he wanted to bring us home. And I'm going to respond to that. So Daniel spends, we're not going to read the whole time, but he spends the next chapter repenting interceding for his people because his people have turned away from God. They've become so comfortable in Babylonian society that they've, most of them have forgotten what God has said. In fact, it seems to me that the only guy that's saying, wait a minute, this is the year we're supposed to go home, is Daniel. So he's praying, he's confessing. He's, it, says he, it says this that in, in verse 3, I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. I prayed to the Lord, O God, and confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. We've sinned, we've committed iniquity, we've acted wickedly and rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. Moreover, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people in the land. Now he goes on for a while. Why is he confessing all this? Why is he interceding for his people? Because his people have turned away from God. In fact, the very reason they're in Babylon is because they turned away from God. And yet there hasn't been a great move of repentance. There's just been a move of, well, I guess we're somewhere else. And by this point, Daniel is pressing in. He's he's interceding. He's saying, if I'm the only one that's going to repent, I'll be the one that repents. If I'm the only one that's going to pray, I'm going to be the one that prays. But God said 70 years. It's been 70 years. It's time for me to pray. Whether Whether it was 70 years or whether it was close to 70 years, I don't know. But he obviously saw the time coming. And he began to pray. And then it says here, if we were to skip down. In verse 17, he says, So now, O God, listen to the prayer of your servant, to his supplications. And for your sake, O Lord, let your face shine 
on your desolate sanctuary. Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we are not presenting our supplications before you on account of any merits of our own, but on account of your great compassion. Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, listen and take action. For your own sake, oh my God, do not delay because your city and your people are called by your name. What I love about this is Daniel does not for a second think he is earning a response from God, but he knows he will get a response from God because God is gracious and compassionate. Daniel is not asking for anything they've earned. He's asking for something God has promised. You know, the Bible says, as many, as it says this in the New Testament, as many as are the promises of God, in him they are yes. And through Christ, we have our amen. That means whatever God promises, his answer is yes to his own promises. Our part is to add our amen. Amen is a Hebrew word, which means so be it, let it be done. We talked about this a few weeks ago, but whenever God made a covenant with his people, he required, when God gave the, the covenant of the law through Moses, he required that the whole nation say amen, amen, to every one of his promises and every one of the, of the punishments for disobedience. They all were to sign their name at the document by saying amen. There were psalms where, where King David wrote these psalms or, or the uh, Asaph wrote these songs, or different people wrote these psalms, and they have the whole congregation singing them. And they say, they say something, and they say, and all the congregation will say, Amen. And whether you were a baby, whether you were an old person, whatever you were, you said, Amen, which means, let it be done. There are two parts to the promise of God, his response and our response. His response is already set and settled in heaven. He, didn't make, he made a promise knowing what the future held, right? God doesn't promise anything. If he, I mean, he already sees the future. He's already in the future. So God doesn't promise something. Then get 100 years later and go, oops, what have I done? He's already there. So God's already said yes to his own word. The Bible says his word is forever settled in heaven. The question is, is it settled in our hearts? God had already said, this is how long you're going to be in Babylon. But he was looking for somebody to hold tight to that word. You know, when Paul talked to Timothy, this young man that he was mentoring, he said, Timothy, remember the prophecy that was spoken over you. Remember what, what every, everything that God said to you through different people. He said, so that by these words, by these prophecies, you may wage a good warfare. What does that mean? That means God spoke some things to you, but they're not just going to magically happen by you sitting on your couch eating Twinkies. At some point, you've got to hold tight and wage warfare by what God has said. What does that mean? I've got to fight a battle, and I've got to say, God, you've promised this. Now, everything around me is screaming, let go, give up, but I'm going to hold tight to what you've said. I'm going to fight the good fight of faith, saying I'm holding on to the promise of God. Daniel said, you promised. And he says, Lord, we have messed up big. We've made bad mistakes. We've turned away from you. But God, we're not coming to you. I'm not coming to you on behalf of our own goodness, on our own merits. I am coming to you because of your great compassion, because of your covenant, because of your graciousness. So God, for your own sake, keep your word. Watch what happens to him. 
right after this. In verse 20, while I was speaking and praying and I was confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and I was presenting my supplication before the Lord my God in behalf of the holy mountain of my God, while I was still speaking in prayer, then the man Gabriel, who was an angel, whom I had seen in the vision, previously he came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. He gave me instruction and talked with me, and he said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you insight with understanding. At the beginning of your supplications, the command was issued, and I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed, so give heed to the message and gain understanding of the vision. Now, the great thing about what the angel goes on to tell him is he doesn't just tell him about the immediate future. Throughout a period of conversations that Daniel has and visions he has, he begins to get a vision not only of the immediate future, but of the rest of history. Even stuff that hasn't happened yet in our lifetime. And it's all because he chose to humble himself before God and seek God in accordance with his promises. We somehow think, well, God just showed Daniel cool stuff. God spoke to Daniel, and I don't know why. I think it was because Daniel, God thought Daniel was cute. So God spoke to Daniel. Daniel, you're cute. I love you, Daniel. I'm going to give you a vision. I'm going to give you a word. But that's not the image we see in the scripture, just of a guy that's special. We see a man who is special, not because God didn't want to use anybody else, because he's the one guy who will press in. And what, is the, what does the angel say when he comes to him? I have come to give you insight with understanding. What are you looking for when you open your Bible? What are you looking for today when you come and hear somebody talk to you out of the word of God? Well, you're looking for something to give you life. You're looking for answers. You're looking for truth. But you know what? I, I, can, I can preach. I can teach. Someone else can get up and read the word to you. We can sing the word. But unless your heart is open to God, unless you're seeking God, you won't have the insight of the understanding that God wants you to have. God is freely offering it to you. He is freely revealing all things to you. But it doesn't matter how good or how bad the preacher is. It's about your heart. Jesus was the best preacher on the planet, and most people didn't have a clue what he was talking about. Why? Because he wasn't a good communicator? He was the best. He said it was because of their heart. Right? Well, Jesus, if you'd had more props, if you'd just use puppets, Jesus, people like puppets. People get it when you use puppets. Jesus, if you could have made a movie, I think people would have got it. Jesus says it doesn't matter how well I preach this. If you don't have ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to understand, well, so you're sitting here and go, well, where do I get ears to hear? Where do I get eyes to see? Where do I get a heart to understand? Well, the Bible says that God is not a respecter of persons, right? That means he is not picking favorites. And I want you to realize that today. God is not picking favorites. And he doesn't have favorites in this church. And there's nobody here that got magic Jesus dust sprinkled on them when they got saved that they can understand things you can't. The question is, will you seek? And when you don't get the answer right away, will you keep seeking? Or will you get frustrated and give up? You know, there are things that I thought I knew. I thought I understood. But the more I grow in Christ, the more I understand it. The deeper and the richer it becomes to me. 
The same simple scriptures. You know, some people think growing in Christ, growing in wisdom and understanding means that you've got to learn stuff you've never heard before. And sometimes that's true, but most of the time, it's the stuff you already know becomes deeper and richer and more layered and complex and better. The stuff I thought I knew. You know, I had a crazy latter half of my teenage life. We were on fire for Jesus. We did stupid, crazy things because we loved Jesus. And uh, I remember, <laughs> you guys know Brent. He's, he's in the Middle East right now on business. But Brent and I, <laughs> we were going to Sylvan Lake, and, and my family was going to Sylvan Lake. And, and uh, Brent and I were in the back seat, and we had a splitter on the CD. You guys remember what it was like? I was just trying to talk to my wife about this, but apparently the four years that she's younger than me robbed her of the joy of knowing what skip protection did for a discman. Do you remember that? Like, and we were driving to Sylvan Lake, and it was, for some reason in the back, it was just bumpy. And we were listening to this, this CD, and it was a worship album. And, and Brent and I were just always like, we're like, let's just, wherever we are, the presence of God can be there. So we had our hands in the air, and, and there'd be a song, and in the middle of the song, it would stop, and it would skip. And kids, kids you guys don't know what that's like. I'm finally that guy who gets to say that. Your generation doesn't know what it's like to have to have to suffer through the skips, have to earn your music, you know? <laughs> have to go to a store and buy it. But uh, we were just waiting for that song to finish, oh, to continue. We had our hands in the air, but we were struggling through the skipping. And then we gave up on that. We just decided to sit and get our Bibles out. So we're just sitting there on the way to Sylvan Lake. And it's quiet. And it's peaceful. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a hand reaches out and grabs me in the arm and says, The Word, John! The Word! And I was freaked out. And it was Brent. And he acted like he had the greatest revelation on the planet. But all he said was, the word, the word. And I was like, yeah, the word, right on, you know? Cool, man, right on, right on, awesome. That's deep, dude, deep, yeah. I'm going to write that down, the word. You should write a book about that, the word. Call it the word. One page, the word. I'll put a foreword in the word. It wasn't that he finally realized the word of God was the word of God. But at some point it clicked for him deeper than it ever clicked before. More richer and realer than it had ever been before. He recognized, whoa, the word of God. Now, I can't even, like, you're, you're standing here and going, well, aren't you going to tell us what the great revelation was? No, I can't. All I can tell you was that it became deeper to him in that moment than it had ever been. Sometimes it's not about learning something new. It's about the stuff. It's about the richness of what God has offered you that you don't even know what you have. Daniel here is willing to press and to seek and an angel comes and here's his reward for all his seeking. Here's his reward for his humbling himself. I have come to give you insight with understanding. And isn't that what we're looking for? Not just insight, but insight with understanding. You know, the Bible says, you know, Paul prayed this over the church. 
He said, my prayer for you, he talked about them growing in all spiritual wisdom and understanding that they could be filled up to all the fullness of God. Being full of all spiritual wisdom and understanding that they would know who they were, that they would know God's will. Now here's, here's what it says. He has this vision, he has the explanation. But then in chapter 10, we come to a different period of his life. It's, it's, it's sometime later. In the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And the message was true and one of great conflict, but he understood the message and had an understanding of the vision. He said, in those days, I, Daniel, had been mourning for three entire weeks, did not eat any tasty food, nor did any meat or wine enter my mouth, nor did I use any ointment at all until the entire three weeks were completed. On the 24th day of the first month, while I was by the bank of the great river, that is Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a certain man dressed in linen, whose waist was girded with a belt of pure gold of Uphaz. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes were like flaming torches, his arms and feet like the gleam of polished bronze, and the sound of his voice were like the sound of a tumult. Now I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, and while the men who were with me didn't see the vision, nevertheless a great dread fell on them, and they ran away to hide themselves. So I was left alone, and I saw this great vision. Yet no strength was left in me, for my natural color turned to a deathly pallor, and I retained no strength. But I heard the sound of his words, and as soon as I heard the sound of his words, I fell into a deep sleep on my face with my face to the ground. Then behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said to me, O Daniel, man of high esteem, understand the words that I'm about to tell you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, don't be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to your words. I want you to hear what he says. Let's read that again. He says, from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and humbling yourself before God, your words were heard. What did Daniel do that made his words so important? Did he use more eloquent, word, eloquent words than everybody else? Was he higher educated? Sure, he was highly educated, but that's not what got him any favor with God. God is not impressed. Did he, did he make God feel sorry for him? Like, did God say, you haven't eaten anything tasty? You've been, you've been you know, fasting. You've been, you know, you've been giving up all the good things in life just to pray. No, this was not pity that moved God. Did he earn an answer from God? No. But here's what God says. Here's what the angel says to him. He says, from the moment you set your heart on understanding this and humbling yourself before God, your words were heard. And these words jumped off the page at me this week. Because this is the kind of people that I believe you and I, we want to see in this church, we want to see in our city, are people that will set their heart on understanding and humbling themselves before God. A group of people that will say, I'm not giving up until I see what you want me to see here, until I know what you want me to know here. I'm content not knowing everything because I couldn't contain everything. 
But Lord, I am willing to press in. I'm willing to seek. I will set my heart on understanding what you're trying to say to me. You see, getting a vision wasn't enough. Daniel got many visions, but it wasn't enough to get a vision because the vision made no sense. Daniel didn't have a pocketbook that said, this is what this means and this is what this didn't mean. You know, whenever somebody asked Joseph or Daniel, who were known as interpreters of dreams, what does my dream mean? Joseph and Daniel never said, well, usually when you see this, this means this. And usually when you see that, that means that. They didn't do that. What did they do? They said, we don't, under, we don't interpret dreams, but we know a God who does. Let's ask God. Today, you can go to the store and buy books that tell you this is what this means and this is what this means. There is no replacement for the Spirit of God. There is no bypass. There is no route around. You could buy all the books. Well, I mean, you know what? Basic psychology knows how to you know, basically judge what your subconscious is trying to tell you. But when there's a dream from God, it's not your subconscious. It's God. There are patterns in your subconscious mind. And when you have these kind of dream, and I'm talk, not talking about a dream from God, I'm just talking about a regular dream. This often means this and this often means that. That's fine. That's psychology. I'm talking about a dream from God. And when you get a dream from God, there is no book that can tell you what that means. There is a God who can tell you what that means. If you want revelation, if you open your Bible and you say, I understand it, but I want to understand it more, read books, study commentaries. That's wonderful. But there is no replacement for closeness and nearness to God. There is no replacement for time with the Lord. There's no replacement for the Spirit of God in your life. Not a pastor, not a teacher, not someone on TV or a CD or a podcast or a book. There is no replacement for the Spirit of God in your life. You know, in 1 John, we're not going to turn there, but just, just to give you an overview, one of the things that it's dealt with is the heresy of Gnosticism. It, it, we talked a lot out of Colossians today, and, and there's a lot in Colossians that deals with it too. In 1 John, there was a group of people who had set themselves up to have a secret wisdom. You have to get to our level so you'll know what we know. I have a secret knowledge and, and we'll let you in level by level and you'll know more. And they believed some weird stuff. They didn't believe fully that Jesus was fully God and fully man. They believed that, you know, that, that he was separate, two beings. They didn't, there was a lot of things they didn't, they got wrong, really wrong. But one of the main things was that they set themselves up to have this special knowledge that no one else had. You have to come to us and come through us to get this knowledge. In Colossians the Apostle Paul says, because they kept saying, you're incomplete without this. You're incomplete. And, and he says, in Christ, we've been made complete. He says, in Christ, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He says, and in him, you've been made complete. So John writes this letter. He's an old man. He writes this letter to the church. They're saying, who do we believe? Who do we listen to? Which teachers do we follow? These people say we have to follow them. We have to listen to them. And John says, you don't have a need for a special teacher because the anointing that abides within you, in other words, the Holy Spirit, you can't separate the Holy Spirit and the anointing, they're one. The anointing that abides within you is able to teach you all things. Now, is John saying the church doesn't need teachers anymore? No, because even he's teaching them right then. 
He goes throughout the scripture, throughout the New Testament, God says, I'm giving you teachers. I'm giving you shepherds that will teach you. I mean, this is all throughout the New Testament. But you don't need a teacher to get to God. There's nobody standing between you and Jesus. Because the anointing that abides within, the Holy Spirit that abides within is ultimately your teacher. Even today, I'm sitting here trying to explain some of this word to you, but it's ultimately, if you're going to get anything today, it's the Holy Spirit that's going to work in your own heart. It's not, well, he was a really good teacher. He explained things I didn't understand. You know, it's not me. It's the Holy Spirit that will explain things to you. If you're getting anything this morning, it's because your heart is open to him. Thank God for the Holy Spirit uses people, right? The Holy Spirit will use you, he'll use me, he'll use a lot of people to teach you things, to talk to you, to explain things, to minister things, to pray for you. But it is the Holy Spirit working through them and working in you. How important is it to you that you gain insight and understanding here? Is it like Daniel level important who spends three weeks in, in prayer to understand a vision? Or how many of us would have given up like after a five minute prayer? Do I have to give up cake? Because I'm not doing that. I have to give up coffee? No. I mean, uh, we value so many things above what God values. Is there anything wrong with cake? Is there anything wrong with coffee? No. But if you can't give them up for a bit, if God told you to give it up for a week and you couldn't, it's got you. It owns you. Right? Anything you can't give up Anything you can't lay down, let's face it, you're addicted. And there's things that just aren't bad for you. I mean, they're, they're, cake's not good for you. It probably is bad for you. But you know what? It's not a sin to eat cake. But if you can't give that little cake up, when God says, I want you to fast and pray for a while, then cake is your Lord, not Jesus. So Daniel was willing to give up all that sweet stuff. He still ate. It wasn't a full fast. He gave up all the sweet stuff. He gave up all his favorite meats. He gave up his favorite drinks. And he just decided to seek the Lord for three weeks. And for three weeks, his friends are with him. And those poor friends were with him the whole time, probably doing the same thing he was doing, and they don't even get the visit. But Daniel does. From the moment you set your heart to understanding this and you humbled yourself before God, your words were heard. This is a different thought, but connects to me. You remember that woman who had been bleeding for 12 years in the Gospels? She'd been bleeding for 12 years. The doctors had done all they could. They couldn't help her. She'd spent all her money on different cures and treatments. Nothing worked. There was no socialized health care. She was just broke, and she was still sick. She was weak. She didn't have the, I mean, think about it. You're bleeding steady for 12 years. That takes a lot out of you. Not only that, but according to the law of the time, the Mosaic law that they were still following, she was unclean all the time. She couldn't go to synagogue like everybody else. She couldn't go and be with a bunch of other people. She had to stay in her house. Somebody comes over to her house and tells her that there is a man named Jesus that is walking around preaching, teaching the kingdom, and he's healing people. And he says he's going to heal everybody. Now, this woman could have said, well, if he wants to heal me, he'll knock on my door. 
And that's the attitude a lot of us take, isn't it? If God wants to, I guess he will. Carry on, on with life. But that's not the attitude that he's, you usually see in the Bible of the, of the great men and women of faith. They're not the people that just sit back and say, well, if it happens, it happens. Que sera, sera. That's fatalism. But what this woman says is, well, if he's healing people, then he can heal me. And she leaves her house and she goes into a crowd. Listen, the guy Jesus is walking with is one of the guys that could really cause her trouble. The guy that Jesus is walking with is a ruler of the synagogue. If anybody could get her punished for coming out in public, it's him. But she still keeps coming. And the whole time she's coming, she says this, if I can but just touch the hem of his garment, if I can just but touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. So she walks through the crowd. She crawls through the crowd. And she goes, and the Bible says she moved through the press. You ever been in a mosh pit? The silence is deafening, really? <laughs> Either you have it or you don't want to admit it. There are times you get carried away in a big crowd, right? Any, Betty been to Disneyland? Anybody been outside your house in this room? Has you got guess? <laughs> I went to Walmart once. <laughs> you been to Walmart on Boxing Day? Okay, you know what it's like. For you to get carried away by the crowd and you can't, you're not controlling it. Can you imagine being a, a, a critically weak person crawling through that kind of press? It says the people were pressing in on Jesus, trying to touch him. And she just shut, touches the hem of his garment. And Jesus turns and says, I felt power go out of me. Who touched me? And the disciples thought it was the greatest joke ever because like thousands, or maybe not thousands, but hundreds of people are touching him. What do you mean, who touched you? Out of all those people touching him, one of them had faith to be made well. Jesus turned, and, and, and finally this woman confesses, it was me. She thinks she's going to get in trouble. And he says, woman, your faith has made you well. Go and be, be healed, be whole. Now, what I get out of this, listen to this. Here's a woman who could have sat at home saying, God, if it's your will to heal me, have Jesus come break down my door and make me be healed. But Jesus had already said, this is what I want to do. He had announced it, right? There are times I don't know the will of God, and I have to say, God, your will be done, if it is your will. That's honestly my prayer because I don't know his will. But there are other times where he makes it clear in Scripture. This is his will. Or he says, it's my will for you to understand this. See, this woman was willing to step out and say, God, you know what, I know, I, Jesus, I'm sure it's your will to heal me, but I got to get to you. That woman was honored. Now listen, Jesus didn't feel sorry for her. She wasn't healed out of pity. Jesus didn't respect her sacrifice. He respected her faith. It was her faith that caused her to sacrifice. When the angel came to Daniel, he didn't say, Daniel, I feel bad for you. You've been, you've been treating yourself rough for three weeks. Life's been tough on you. I'm going to throw you a bone. You see, we're not earning this from God. When you seek God, when you seek his will, when you seek his truth, when you're seeking insight and understanding, when you're seeking healing, you're not earning that from God. You're not trying to make God feel sorry for you. You're not trying to pay a debt. Jesus paid the debt. It's something that's already been granted to you. And I want you to know it has been granted to you. The Bible says it's been granted to you to know by his spirit what is his will, 
It is granted to you to, to, to know the mystery of the gospel of Christ, for things to be unveiled and revealed to you. But just because it's his will doesn't mean it's just going to automatically smack you upside the head. We have to go deeper, guys. Some of you are here today, and you just received Jesus. You'll find that God has a way of surprising you with the best things when you least expect them. But as you grow in Christ, you're not going to continually be spoon-fed everything. There are things you've got to press in for. You gotta, there's things you got to fight for. There's things you got you to gotta press and keep seeking. Seek and keep seeking. Ask and keep asking. Knock and keep knocking. Not because God's not listening. Not because God wants you to suffer. None of that. But because God is looking for a people that will seek him with all their heart. When you're a baby, somebody takes a spoon, sticks it in food, and shoves it in your mouth. But when you grow up, you got to take that spoon. In fact, you gotta, most of the time, you got to go and get the food from somewhere, bring it back and eat it. As you grow in Christ, as you grow deeper, it's not enough to just sit back and say, well, God, if you want me to know it, you'll just spoon feed it. You have got to press in to what God has for you. you got to seek his will. you got to seek his way. And guys, it's the most beautiful thing. Why does God need us to do that? And he says, you'll, you will find me. I will be found by you, he says to his people. I will be found by you. You will find me if you search for me with all your heart. Jesus said that more than once. He said, ask, and it will be answered. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open for you. In fact, he tells a parable of a guy whose friend, he needs to borrow something from his friend, but his friend's like, I've already gone to sleep. I've already gone to bed. I'm undressed. You, you, I'll give it to you tomorrow. But the guy keeps knocking at his door, and finally the guy gets up and says, fine, I'll come and get it for you. And Jesus goes on and says, so I tell you, ask and keep asking, seek and keep seeking, knock and keep knocking. Well, that seems weird, because it makes it sound like God is that guy who's already in bed that doesn't want to get up, until we just annoy him into acting. That's not what Jesus is saying. But Jesus is saying, if you would show that persistence, if you would show that kind of persistence to borrow some bread or flour from somebody, if you would show that kind of persistence when you're calling customer service to get, to get a company to, you know, make something right for you, if you'd show that kind of persistence in anything, why don't we show that kind of persistence in prayer? And he immediately follows it up by saying this, if you asked your dad, if your kid asked you, for some bread, would you give him a stone? No. He said, if your kid asked you for fish, would you give him a snake? No. He said, well, God is a better father than you. How much more will he give you the Holy Spirit if you ask? Those three sentences, those three phrases, those three conversations put together are so confusing to me. Because the first bit makes it sound like God has to be annoyed to do something, but that's not what he's saying. The second bet says, if you keep asking, be persistent in your prayer. Don't give up. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. You're going to get your answer. The third thing says, it's God's will to give it to you, and he'd never give you anything other than what he's already told you he's going to give you. Now, when you put them all together, here's what you find. And I want you, if you've heard nothing else today, I want you to hear this. It is God's will to reveal himself to you. It is God's will to reveal his will to you. It is God's will to give you the, all the things he's promised. It's God's will that you would walk in all the fullness of all he is. 
You are not earning anything from God that he hasn't promised. The Bible says it's been gra- all the things pertaining to life and godliness have been granted to you in Christ Jesus. You don't have to earn them. You don't have to work for them. They're already granted to you. Take that and then know this. There are things that you've got to press in for that are promised, that are yours by faith, but you still got to press in. That woman had every right to be healed, didn't she? Every right to be healed, but no one was going to bring it to her. She had to get out of her house and go get it. We live in a society where if we're looking for an answer, we Google it on our phone and we have our answer. But I'm going to tell you something here. I don't care how easy your Bible is to read. There are things you won't understand without the help of the Holy Spirit and without you being willing to press in. It's just the truth of it. When Peter said there are things that Paul writes that are difficult to understand, Peter wasn't saying, Paul's Greek is tough. Peter was saying there are things that even I have a difficulty understanding Because there are just some things that you have to be spiritually minded. You have to press in. You have to ask God, God, give me understanding because I don't get it. And you can buy the easiest Bible translation in the world and it still wouldn't make sense to you. There are some things that you got to get by pressing further in. And this is what God wants of you. In a fast food culture, will he have a people of his own that are willing to say, I will not let go until I get what you have for me. Will he have somebody like Jacob who wrestled with the angel, wrestled with God and said, I will not let you go until you bless me. Now, guys, we all know Jacob had already been blessed. God had already given him his blessing. But it wasn't real to Jacob until he fought and struggled and said, you know what? I'm not letting go until I get all the fullness of what you've promised. And God said, all right, you're blessed. From that day, Jacob was different. And from that day, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Now, we can take that and twist it and think that God doesn't want us to have something and somehow we twist his arm. You can't twist God's arm. Don't you know a human being could never defeat God in a wrestling match? Right? Remember the angel just touched Jacob and for the rest of his life, Jacob walked with a limp? Guys, if you could just touch somebody in the hip joint and make them limp for the rest of your life, don't you know you could pulverize that guy? That angel could win every UFC match he ever enters. No contest. God let himself be struggled with here. Now, I want to ask you something. Is it God that needs to change? And I'll close with this thought. Is it God that needs us to knock a little bit more for him to be convinced? Is it God that needs us to fast so that he feels something for us? No. Guys, God wants this for you. He loves you with an everlasting love. Why do we have to seek? Why is it that he says it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it is the glory of kings to search it out? Why doesn't he just leave it in the open? Because in the process of seeking, our hearts are prepared. In the process of seeking, we are changed. There are some things you could not fully grasp or fully appreciate or fully honor until you have sought God and said, I will not give up until I see it. I will not stop until I understand it. Now listen, guys, there are things in my life I still don't understand. There are things I still don't get. 
But when God puts something in front of us, we have to be willing to fight and to say, God, I want everything you've got. By, by the words that you've spoken over me, I will wage a good warfare. Paul said to Timothy, it's not enough that someone prophesied over you. Many of you in the room today have had someone speak a word of God over you. And you've sat back and said, oh good, that's going to happen. But Paul said to Timothy, you need to remember what's been spoken over you. Because what's been spoken over you, you've got you to use it and you've got to fight with it. You've got to hold on to it. You've been neglecting it. You need to stir it up in yourself. You have a part to play here today. This is not necessarily a get up, shout, run around the church kind of message. But my hope for you today is that you wouldn't give up so easy. That you would know it is God's will. It is God's will to reveal his mystery to you. Doesn't mean you'll get everything at once. But he wants to reveal and reveal and reveal and uncover and uncover and uncover his word, his promises, his life to you. God wants you to be, to have everything he's promised and to walk in it and to step into it. But guys, Daniel didn't just wake up and understand everything. From the moment you set your heart to understanding and humbling yourself before God, the words were heard. You are a man of high esteem. That tells me that the people God esteems most are the people that are willing to say by faith, I won't let go till I know I have what you said I have. I won't let go until I see what you want me to see. I won't give up until I hear from God. Those are the kind of people that are going to take nations. Those are the people that are going to go take the world. God's not respect of your education. He's not a respecter of your background. He's not a respecter of what kind of family you came from. Whether your family was godly or the most ungodly family in the world, it does not matter. You're part of a new family now. Will you grab on to what God has promised you? Will you be one of those people that digs a little deeper and says, I will understand this. I don't get it now, but I will, I will seek God until I do. Will you go back to the things he's already said to you and say, God, I know there's more that I need to get from this. I want us to go deeper. Go deeper with God and know this, it's his will for you too. He wants to open the door for you. He wants to, when you, when you knock, he wants to open. When you ask, he wants you to receive. And when you seek, he wants you to find. You are not fighting against God. He has not hidden things from you. He has hidden things for you. Amen? Stand up this morning.